Hello there. My name is Jamin Melanson, and welcome to my podcast entitled Reclaimed. Over the next several weeks, you will learn about how I have been reclaimed by God, and still am being reclaimed. My hope, however, is not that you will only learn about me, but you'll also learn about yourself. I'll be using personal stories and biblical stories to relate different truths about being reclaimed as we focus on learning humility, integrity, loyalty, and tranquility in our walk with Jesus. So grab your favorite beverage, something to munch on, and join me as we embark on this journey of being reclaimed. Part 1. Reclaimed in Humility True humility does not know that it is humble. If it did, it would be proud from the contemplation of so fine a virtue. Martin Luther Chapter 1 the art of being broken. The Christian life is about transformation. It's the movement of shattered to whole. Brokenness made beautiful. Aaron Reimer, in his book, The Art of Being Broken. On December 17, 2016, I wrote the following in my journal. Leaving for Fairfield, Maine is one of the most exhausting and draining events in my life so far. Now, to be fair, I had never owned a house at that point, and now I do, and that is by far the more draining and exhausting. But at this point, leaving Maine was that event. Now, here's some background information about me. I graduated from Kingswood University in 2012 with a Bachelor of Religion focused on pastoral ministry. In January 2014, I left my home in Truro, Nova Scotia, Canada, and started my role as solo pastor in Fort Fairfield, Maine. Now, most of you have probably have no idea where Fort Fairfield is. It's a small border town in northern Maine, boasted a population of about 2,500, has one stoplight, and everyone knew everyone. The cool thing is my father pastored this church back in the 90s. This is why if you see me write things, I don't use word or don't use you in some words like honor or neighbor or labor. I know for some of you that probably sounds normal, but it isn't. We're actually the oddballs to the rest of the world. It's also why I say Z instead of Z. And plus it makes more sense to me to say it's a zebra, not a zebra. However, if you want to start a female undergarments company and use that word i won't even charge royalties so go for it anyways it was in the basement of this church during junior church which is now called kids church i began to follow jesus i was also baptized in a river near the church and this church has always had a special place in my heart and then in the summer of 2013 it appeared as if the church was going to close after spending time in prayer I decided to put my name in to see if I could go and reinvigorate the church with the help of the Holy Spirit. I had big dreams for Fort Fairfield. I was going to invest in people who once invested in me. 
Not many people get that chance. My first message focused on the story in Ezekiel when God revived the dead army and I shared how I believe God could renew this church body to build the kingdom of God in Fort Fairfield and the surrounding area. I was so excited to see God work in extreme ways. And there are so many stories to share. There are too many to tell right now, but some will be shared in later podcasts and others will have to wait for another time. And the kingdom of God did grow in Fort. But due to immigration and financial issues, my wife and I knew the time came for us to return to Canada. I didn't want to leave. I believe there was still work to accomplish. I wrestled with this, but held it in. On the outside, I appeared as if I was handling everything with maturity and humility, but inside it was not the same picture. I was broken. I was angry. I was hurting. I was a mess. We left Fort Fairfield in the middle of a snowstorm. Her parents drove the cube truck, and I was driving our maroon Chrysler 200. And typically, I enjoy driving. You know, crank the music, sing to the top of your lungs. Don't judge me. You know you do it. But on this night, something was different. I kept trying to hide from my emotions. I continued to bury them deeper and deeper and push my focus on the drive. My journal entry continued. Right now... I'm sitting in the passenger seat of our car as we drive home on a slightly snow-covered road. Usually I'm the one driving, but tonight I just couldn't do it. I've never had an emotional breakdown, but I think I'm fairly close right now. Originally, we only planned to cross the border and sleep at a friend's house, and then continue the next day. However, the forecast was calling for freezing rain in the morning. So we decided to venture out and drive through the snowy night to beat out the freezing rain. Now I've already mentioned I love driving. That means I love driving the speed limit or, you know, maybe a kilometer or two over. Because time is a valuable thing for me. If a trip is meant to take five hours, I try to be as close to that five hours as possible so I can maximize the time on either side. It only makes sense then that we get stuck behind two snowplows, one in each lane. It was super annoying. And y'all who live in the southern United States, you don't understand this pain, and I pray you never have to. And we were stuck behind them for 40 minutes. 40 minutes. It was frustrating. It was torture. Now, if I was allowed to continue driving, my focus could have easily stayed on the road, and my mind wouldn't have drifted to different thoughts. But it did. And when it did, I began to lose myself in grief. I hadn't taken the proper time to do so before. Because I was too busy trying to focus on finishing up well and forth that I missed a very important part of the journey. The grief. And it all hit me at once. Names flashing in my mind. Memories meshing together as they flew around in my brain. My arms were tensing and becoming numb. I tried to remain focused on the road, but my emotions were quickly taking over. Every time the car jerked, I thought it was going to spin off the road. I fought to stay in control. But with each passing second, I was losing the battle. It was like an overwhelming darkness overtook my mind, my body, and my spirit. I felt like a failure to those who believed in me because I thought I could have done more in Fort Fairfield to succeed. I felt like a failure to God because I wasn't mature enough to lead the church to greener pastures. I felt like a failure because I was defeated and had no sense of victory in my life. 
I felt like a failure because our savings were practically drained to make things in Maine work, and we were moving back home to live with my wife's parents because we didn't have any money. I felt like a failure because I was broken and had no idea how to be made new. And I felt like a failure because I was too proud to admit something was wrong, instead of being humble and admitting my weakness. God is close to the brokenhearted. Being broken forces us to learn to be humble. And if you're anything like me, you're in the process of being reclaimed in humility. Humility, according to Jesus, means to think of others before yourself. It's not an easy process. It isn't even all that enjoyable at times. It is, however, very important as we follow Jesus. Psalm 34 has always been one of my favorite psalms. In times of brokenness, I often open up to it and read it. And David wrote this psalm regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of a man named Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is actually more of a title, like Pharaoh. The guy's name was actually Akesh, or Akish, or however you want to pronounce it. And the original story can be found in 1 Samuel 21, 10-15. So let's take a little look at the context to see why David wrote this psalm. After killing the giant Goliath, David became the commander over the army of Israel. His successes continued to grow and people started to love David more than Saul, who was the current king. Now, as you can guess, this did not go over well with Saul. And so, he does what he thinks is best and he tries to kill David. And what does David do? He flees. And eventually, he tries to hide amongst the Philistines, who are the mortal enemies of Israel. Talk about awkward. The Philistines actually weren't even that happy about David's presence. Well, no kidding. He had just killed their champion and countless of their men in battle. He may have even killed relatives of the people in the king's court. So verse 12 tells us that David was very afraid of the actions that Akesh may take against him. Instead of running away again, he did the next best thing. He pretended to be insane? Like, I guess that's his next best option. Let's just pretend to be a crazy person. He scratched on doors. He drooled down his beard. And so seeing this, Akesh told David to leave. And he did. During this whole ordeal, besides the part where it says David was afraid, we have no idea what's going on inside David's mind. And this is why the Psalms are so great. They give us the ability to peer into the souls of the Bible characters. Now, I'm not going to read the entire Psalm. But I want to point out some very important parts. One cool thing to know, at least I think it's cool, is that the psalm is in a Hebrew acrostic poem. This means in the original language, each verse begins with the letter of, a he- of the Hebrew alphabet. Unlike ours, which has 26 letters, the Hebrew alphabet, beginning with Aleph, has 22. So verse 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. David begins the psalm by praising God. This is foundational when it comes to being broken and being reclaimed in humility. Notice David wrote at all times. Not some of the time. Not half the time. At all times. Praising God lowers our pride and raises our humility. 
It reminds us that we are not in control. It reminds us that our plans don't always go the way we want them. It reminds me and it reminds us that this is actually okay. David probably didn't feel like praising God while he was running away from Saul. I know I didn't feel like praising God on the night we were driving home. Heck, I'm going to be honest, there are many days I don't feel like praising God. And I'm willing to bet neither do you. You don't feel like praising God when you're stuck in traffic on your way home from a long day at work. You know, a yellow light does mean speed up, not slow down. Just saying. Kidding. Kind of. Anyways. But you don't feel like praising God when we have a disagreement with our spouse. You don't feel like praising God when we're frustrated with one of our co-workers. We don't feel like praising God when we're depressed and feel exhausted. We don't feel like praising God when we're anxious about the future. We don't feel like praising God when we're struggling with sin. We don't feel like praising God when we're dealing with an illness. We don't feel like praising God when we lose our source of income. And we don't feel like losing or praising God when we lose someone we care about. And it makes perfect sense why you don't feel like praising God in those times. These are all moments of brokenness, and the brokenness can be overwhelming. It dominates our entire being. And this is why David said to praise God at all times. He understood that praising God helped to deal with being overwhelmed. It changed his focus. No longer was he trying to deal with his problems on his own with his pride. Instead, by praising God, David humbled himself to admit that he couldn't handle the situation and only God could. And then we read verse 6. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles. David was desperate for God to intervene. He wasn't accepted in his homeland, he wasn't accepted among his enemies, and it looked like there was no way out. David pretended to be insane and trusted in God to deliver him, and he did. Now I know what you're thinking. The same thought crossed my mind too. Well, that's nice that God rescued David. He hasn't rescued me yet. True. Sometimes the rescue doesn't happen in the time frame we want. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like the rescue came at all. The traffic is still slow and we are still stuck. The disagreement with our spouse turned to months of separation and then divorce. The frustration with our co-worker evolved into months of not speaking to one another. The depression and anxiety are still present. The struggle with sin is still ongoing. The illness isn't healed. The money in the bank is slowly depleting. And the person we lost isn't coming back from the dead. And if you read the rest of David's story, you find out he didn't have a perfect life. Being rescued from our brokenness doesn't mean everything will be perfect. It doesn't mean everything will go the way we want. Part of being rescued is having the humility to accept that things will not go according to our plans. You see, we are not rescued from our brokenness. We are rescued in our brokenness. Verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When I think of Psalm 34, this is the verse I always come to. It's the pinnacle of the psalm for me. 
Often we believe that if we are broken or going through a time of brokenness, God isn't with us. We think if he was, then he wouldn't be broken. Newsflash, in this world, you're not going to escape being broken. The sooner we all accept that, the easier it will become to enjoy the art of being broken. Now, I want you to know, I borrowed this phrase, the art of being broken, from my friend and fellow pastor, Aaron Reimer, who wrote a book with this title. And I want to encourage you to check it out. It's for sale on Amazon. I only spend one chapter on this. He wrote an entire book. So go check it out. It's well worth the read. Growing up, though, my parents owned one of those huge Magnavox box televisions. Some of you probably remember what those were. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just imagine this huge box with speakers in a screen. Like, massive. And then 2007, because, yeah, it took that long. 2007 for us to get a flat screen. But my parents finally did it. They bought it. Because our old TV was outdated, it was worn out, and a few things were broken. But instead of throwing out the old television, they asked a friend to convert it into a TV stand. And my parents' TV still sits on this stand to this day. They could have thrown the old TV out. Instead, they let it be reclaimed out of its brokenness for a new purpose. In the same way, God wants to reclaim you in your brokenness. He wants to rescue you. It's a humbling experience. It won't go the way you think. And as I continue to follow Jesus, the more and more I realize that I'd rather let him rescue me in his way as opposed to my way. You see, the slow traffic allows me time to stop and rest in God's spirit and let him rejuvenate me. The disagreement with our spouse gives us an opportunity to be humble and heal our marriage. The frustration with our coworker may go away after we start being thankful for them and thanking God and praising God for them. The depression eventually turns into joy as we praise God and allow him to heal our souls. The anxiety slowly dissipates as we hand over our fears to God. The struggle with sin becomes easier to fight as we allow God to fight for us. The illness we have had since childhood turns into a blessing as we help others with similar ailments follow Jesus. The money in the bank starts to go back up after finding a new job, but we learn to trust in God and not our finances. The pain of losing a loved one is still very present, but now we bask in the hope of the time when God will make everything new. Crown of Beauty for Ashes Isaiah 61.3 pictures the art of being broken perfectly. It says this, To all who mourn in Israel, he, as in God, will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. A crown of beauty for ashes. That's a beautiful picture. You see, your brokenness will be made beautiful. God isn't going to cast you away or throw you out because you are broken. No, in and through your brokenness, he will use you to build his kingdom here on earth. In the Western world, we live in a culture that wants everything to be perfect. You move into a new house, and by the end of the day, there are scrapes and scratches on the wall. You buy a new vehicle, 
and by the end of the week, it already has a dent. You're given a new shirt to wear, and there's already a hole or tear near the hemline after you wash it. Our initial reaction is to grab the paint, cover it up, buff out the dent, sew the shirt, or even buy a completely new one. This all comes from our desire for things to appear perfect because we don't like being broken. But I want to challenge you. Let the walls have scratches. Keep the dent. And wear the shirt proudly, but also humbly. The imperfections give it character. There is beauty in brokenness. Back to my journal entry. Eventually, we pulled into a gas station and I told my wife... Naomi, that I was not in the right state of mind to drive. Trust me when I say this took a lot of humility. I did not want to admit I was broken, but I knew that if I allowed my pride to overtake me, I was putting her life and the life of our two cats, Kiara and Hector, in danger. With grace and mercy, my wonderful wife, who really doesn't like driving as much as I do, took the keys and drove for the next three hours. In normal circumstances, we would have been home, but because of the snow, we were still roughly an hour and a bit away when we stopped at a second gas station. It was around 3 a.m. Naomi was exhausted. I had tried to sleep, but was unable to due to all the emotions going on inside my head. And yet here it came. I knew I needed to drive again. I wrote the following in my blog. In my brokenness, I turned to the king and asked for his strength as I took the driver's seat one more time. I was scared. I was nervous. I wasn't alright. You see, I wasn't rescued. I wasn't whole. Yet I knew God could still use me in my brokenness. I took the keys and started driving. I repeated, The Lord is with me, over and over and over. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. My fear, though still present, wasn't controlling me. I drove through a place called the Cobbequid Pass, which in Nova Scotia, you could it could be sunny everywhere else, and it could be raining and storming up in the pass. But I drove through the pass in the middle of the night during a snowstorm while being broken. Let me rephrase that. In my brokenness, God helped me drive through the Cobbequid Pass in the middle of the night during a snowstorm. For months after I wrote this blog on my journal entry, I was still broken. Nearly five years later, as I am telling you this, I am still broken. My brokenness hasn't gone away, and it won't go away as long as I am alive on this earth either. Neither will yours. Doesn't seem very comforting, I know. But I want to comfort you with this. God wants to use you in your brokenness. Go back to earlier in the podcast where I gave the list. Listen to it again. What is God saying to you? How does he want to use your brokenness to build his kingdom here on earth? I can't force you to do this. But if you want God to reclaim you in humility, let him turn your brokenness into a crown of beauty. Thank you for joining me this week in digging into the art of being broken. How did God speak to you today? I encourage you to let someone know how he did. 
because being reclaimed by God only works when we're open with ourselves and with others. So may the Lord be with you this week, and I look forward to having you join me next week as we learn about the call of the Lord. Kanei Akmatov, which just means how pleasant it is for humanity to dwell in harmony. And you'll learn a little bit more about this phrase and why I believe it's important in a later podcast. We'll see you soon.